25 years ago this month, the Exxon Valdez oil spill occurred in Prince William Sound, Alaska, March 24, 1989. It was a tanker that was bound for Long Beach, California, not too far from here. And it struck Prince William Sound's uh, Bly Reef at 12.04 in the morning and spilled over the next few days 11 million gallons of oil. It was the largest oil spill in U.S. history until 2010's Deepwater Horizon disaster, which actually spilled 200 million gallons of oil into the Gulf of Mexico. Now, amazingly, pockets of oil from the Exxon Valdez still remain along the Alaskan coast. 25 years later, the effects are still being seen. I want to tie that in today as we talk about marriage and divorce and other things and just say that this hits close to home. Our sinful, self-centered choices can have lasting, disastrous effects upon our lives and the lives of others. The effects of disobedience in people's lives are far-ranging and significant and probably no more as impactful as when they touch the home and the family. We are in week four now of, of Malachi. We're, we're almost halfway through this, this book and in embedded in, in this book, it's a message really, it's a, God is having a come to Jesus talk with his people basically. And there's some really good teaching on the fatherhood of God and on marriage and on divorce. And so I just want to say this, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you've been divorced or you haven't, God has something significant to say to you today. And, and I just want to say right off the bat that if you've been divorced, this is not a sermon where we're going to try to make you feel really, really bad for something that happened a long time ago. Okay, we're going to deal in the present. Because God was dealing in, in the present with his people and an ongoing sin that was happening right then. I want to invite you to open your Bibles up to Malachi chapter 2. And if you're able to, I want you to stand with me for reading of God's word. I'm going to be reading verses 10 through 16 of Malachi chapter 2. By the way, the reason that we're dealing with with God overruling his people's objections is because the people he was talking to wouldn't acknowledge their sin and their guilt. And he is God, his word stands, and therefore all of our objections to his verdicts are overruled. So with that in mind, um, the fact that we should honor God's word and his glory above our own has this message in it. You can't claim to be right with God if you treat his people wrongly. That's what we're going to see today in Malachi 2, 10 through 16. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do, 
You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who hates and divorces, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. This is God's word. And let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you have given us your word and that it is completely true. It is without error. It is, it is perfect. It, it is what you use to, to change us and to, to convict us and to comfort us and, and to challenge us. I pray, Lord, today that you would, would teach us, that you would speak to our hearts by your spirit and through your word, that we would not leave this place the same as we came in and that we would not leave this place broken hearted and, and downcast but that we would leave knowing your mercy and your grace and we thank you in Jesus name Amen please be seated you can't claim to be right with God if you treat his people wrongly Malachi 2, verses 10 through 16, part 4, and and the the question they're throwing back in God's face is, why are you not pleased with us? They think they're really pleasing to God. They think they've been doing everything right, and they've been doing everything wrong. There's this dialogue going on all the way through the book of Malachi. The dialogue in today's passage gives us this really sad picture of people coming to the altar of God to worship Him, and they've got crocodile tears just streaming down their faces. Rivers of water, they've got to put an umbrella up, there's so much water coming out of their eyes. And God turns away from them in displeasure. Let me just say this. I think a lot of us think that just coming to church is is a good thing that we do for God, and it's enough to please God. Hey, I showed up! I got dressed on a Sunday morning. I could be out golfing in the rain, but I'm here. See, these people were doing more than that. They were actually showing emotion while they were there. But the emotion they were showing was because God was not pleased with them, and they were upset at God because of it. God was not impressed with their presence or their emotion. Verse 10, the question, have we not all one Father? And then another question, Has not one God created us? These first two questions form the the, the beginning for us here, that we have one Father, and He is God the Father, Father of all through creation. The focus specifically here is directed to God as the Father of Israel by covenant, His covenant people. God is our Father, and it matters who your Father is. You know that 33% of the 72 million children in America will go to bed tonight without their biological father in the home? 66% of children born in America will not live with both biological parents through the age of 18. 
And then after steadily rising for 50 years, the share of children born to unmarried women has crossed a threshold. Now more than half of births to American women under age 30 occur outside of marriage. It's important who your father is. It shapes you. It gives you an identity. It, it gives you security to know that, that your daddy loves you. Your earthly life is greatly impacted either positively or negatively by your father. And here we read in, in Malachi that we're to obey God because he's our father. He is our creator. And, and the Bible doesn't say we have many fathers, but we have one father. And it's very, he is a very present and very good father. He is, he is faithful. You go to other religions and they will teach you that you have many, even billions of gods. The Bible says, one God, one true God, creator and father. The father who physically created us, gave us life. And then if you're a believer, if you've come to faith in Christ like like Nicole and Adam who got baptized today and they're professing their faith in Christ. If you've come to faith in the finished work of Christ and you believe that he died for your sins in your place and rose from the dead and when you place your faith in him, you receive forgiveness of sins, you receive eternal life, then God has now become your spiritual father. He has adopted you into his family and he saves you. He's a great and, and a good and and a kind and loving God. One God. And so you should listen to what this good father has to say. We need to, to listen up to what he has to say to us here today in Malachi. See, the people had broken faith with God and his people. The problem, as stated, is they were profaning the covenant. That's the, the words here used. Why then are we faithless, verse 10, and dealt treacherously, basically, to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers. God says they're being faithless. The verb there, but God, means to break forth, break faith, excuse me, break faith. It's used 43 times in the Old Testament. Five of them are in Malachi, in this passage today. Verse 10, verse 11, verse 14, verse 15, and verse 16. And it describes a violation of the covenant or, or an act of betrayal, an act of treachery even, in a relationship that should be marked by loyalty and kindness and service. It, it means to be deceitful. It means the opposite of integrity or dependability. And this is how they were being to each other. Romans 1.31 says that those who are not acknowledging God are basically foolish faithless, heartless, and ruthless. And they know God's righteous decree that those who practice these things deserve to die, but they not only do them, but give hearty approval to those who practice such things. They were profaning God's covenant. That literally means they polluted it. It's like the oil spill. It's a spiritual Exxon Valdez. It's a huge mess. They've got this unique relationship with God. If you're a believer today, you have a, a unique relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You come to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And your highest allegiance is supposed to be to Him. And God has covenanted with us. But they are profaning, they have polluted 
that covenant. How many of you, let me see by a show of hands, when you were a little kid, your parents said, do not cuss. Do not use profanity. Don't use bad words. So half of you, your parents told, what did the rest of, what did the rest of your parents teach you? <laughs> Next week we'll be talking about <laughs> Ephesians 4.29. <laughs> I know that all your parents taught you not to use profanity. Or maybe you're the perfect kids that never did it, so they didn't have to tell you. That's, half of you are perfect kids. Okay, wonderful. I'm sure you had other issues. Let me just say that I was well acquainted with ivory soap. Here's the thing. God is saying... You're leading a profane life. Your whole life is profanity. Your whole life is a cuss word. You're literally, literally living pro, uh, functional atheism. You're calling God a good father and ignoring him. How about if you had a really good dad who takes care of all your needs, provides for you, and you walk around through the streets of Orange and say, I don't have a father. I don't have a father. And you have this great dad. Deuteronomy 32 verses 5 and 6 it says this they have acted corruptly toward him towards god to their shame they are no longer his children but a warped and crooked generation is this the way you repay the lord O foolish and unwise people is he not your father your creator who made you informed you deuteronomy 32 there is talking about the relationship to god that it's how they're treating god but here in malachi it wasn't just about how they were treating god but how they were treating other people god's family the message regards this proper response to god as one's father and redeemer by having a proper response to the people that god's put in their path says that they've been faithless with one another Literally, that means a man with his brother. The Bible consistently says bad treatment of, of a brother is a serious offense. Go back to Genesis when, when Joseph's brothers were, were selling him into slavery and Judah pled for his brother and said, isn't he our flesh and blood? So this unfaithfulness to God that's been showing has involved this horizontal dimension between people and and people and it introduced a destructive element into the covenant community and their their vertical relationship with god was affected christians in america like to talk about having a personal relationship with jesus it's kind of like saying a relationship relationship with jesus it's kind of weird wording that we've adopted right you really have a a covenantal relationship with jesus where God has made a covenant and he is always going to be with you and he is going to forgive you and he is going to save you. But here's the thing, and some of you may be a bit surprised because of what you've heard in the past. It's not a self-centered relationship when you are in Christ, when you are a Christian. It's not a self-centered relationship. It is a Christ-centered relationship. It's not about what you get or your growth or your happiness or your well-being. It's not about your feelings. It's not about what you get out of it. It's not about you. Now, you get all sorts of blessings in Christ. Don't get me wrong. You get all sorts of blessings in Christ. But it is about Jesus. You benefit greatly for eternity. You benefit greatly here on earth. But it is not about you. And some of you may feel a little cheated right now because that's not what you've heard. 
Not what you've thought all your life. Worldviews die hard. Mindsets tenaciously cling to you. Here's what you need to know. You violate the horizontal relationship, you violate the vertical one. And it's about Jesus. Verse 11, he says, Judah, this is very interesting, Judah has been faithless. Judah has dealt treacherously. An abomination, these are some big, scary words here. Abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. It's interesting, we're talking Israel, we're talking Judah. At this point, 10 of the tribes were gone. Judah was kind of the remnant. And it says that the whole nation was guilty. This was a corporate sin. This was a national sin. It had been so pervasive. It had gotten so common that everyone seemed to be indicted. Verse 12 says, May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob, meaning from the community, any descendant of the man who does this. Now, he's going to say what exactly was being done. We're in, this, we're in the general right now. Well, they were profaning the covenant. Okay? Now, he's going, to, he's going to say exactly what happened. But basically, cut off is code word for death. This is serious. What was going on? Well, it was mixed marriages. It says that they, that they married the daughter of a foreign god. So Israel was under a theocracy. God was in charge of everything for them. We do not live under a theocracy. But their covenant relationship to God was all-encompassing, like a big umbrella over them all the time. And it was to safeguard them and and to keep them in, in line with him. And then to safeguard the relationship, God said, don't intermarry with pagans who are going to lead you astray from me. But there was this forbidden practice that had become so common, the prophet could say of the whole nation that they were guilty. They had profaned the Lord's institution of marriage. Why was this such a big deal? Because a worshiper of pagan deities was considered to be the offspring of the pagan deity. That's why the term daughter of a foreign god. And men were doing this. Okay? Men were doing this. And unless, by the way, unless those, those new wives became Jewish proselytes and they aligned with the one true God, they're going to lead their husbands into idolatry. In fact, they did. In fact, Solomon is an example. So they were contaminating the worship. Now, the modern equivalent to this kind of mixed marriage is a believer marrying an unbeliever. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you want to go there, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to start at verse 14. Verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with, together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial, basically Satan? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Let's talk about singleness for a few moments. The message that God has for those who are single, that are not married, are are this. Don't go and marry... If you're a believer, don't go and marry an unbeliever. Don't marry the wrong person. Now, some of you that are married are like, uh, I married the wrong person. Sorry. 
Let's do some uh, let's do some math. I need your help on this, okay? You put your hand half of you put your hands up before. I need to see greater participation this time, okay? So let's just do some math. I'm gonna ask a question. You say yes really loud or no really loud, okay? Don't be afraid, you just be confident, okay? Here we go. Can a believer marry a believer? You are really good. Can an unbeliever marry an unbeliever? Can a... I got to change this. Should a believer marry an unbeliever? No. It's a very current problem. It's happening right now. You may have married an unbeliever. I want you to know right now, if you're sitting here or you're listening to this sermon and you say, wait... Where are we going with this? I'm married to an unbeliever. Don't divorce them, okay? There's very clear teaching in the Bible. Don't leave your unbelieving spouse, okay? You, you stay together. You pray for their salvation. You pray that they will come to know Christ. And there are plenty of people who have that testimony. Probably in this, in this room right now. That when you first got married, one of you was not walking with the Lord. Or maybe two of you, both of you weren't. And, the, and one of you came to know Christ. And you're like, uh-oh. What do we do now? We're unequally yoked. Well, you, you pray, and you live faithfully, and, and you, you model Christ before the person. And you love your spouse. You do everything the Bible says you should do. But believers are marrying unbelievers. 40% of marriages now are interfaith marriages. Mixed religions, different religions. That's wrong. Let me ask you a question. If you're single, are you dating an unbeliever right now? Don't answer out loud. But are you dating an unbeliever right now? If so, stop it right now. Stop that right now. Text them right now. We will support you. I'm serious. If you're dating an unbeliever right now and you're a believer, end it right now. You got a phone with you. You got all sorts of options as, as a single person. You can sin and, and, and disobey God. Well, everyone can do that, right? We do it often. You can do all sorts of things. By the way, I love watching guys around here who um, get serious about wanting to get married. They start bathing. And then they comb their hair. It's like wild. <laughs> Let me say this too. If you're single, there are there are sometimes the best decision for you is not to marry because that is your gifting from God. There are plenty of people I know that really, really want to be married. And all I can say is, I don't know what will happen. I don't know if God will bring you a spouse. I don't know. And, and I, I like to say only God knows. And that's the answer to a lot of our questions. But I want to say this. There are no second-class citizens in the body of Christ single, married, divorced, separated, whatever your status in life is right now, if you're in Christ, if you know Jesus, there are no second-class citizens in the body of Christ. Some of you have probably gone for years thinking you were, thinking that you have done this or that and you're just beating yourself up about it all the time, which I think might show a heart of repentance. It can But you have got to know, if you're in Christ, that you have been forgiven in Christ, that you have freedom in Christ, that you have peace and joy in Christ, and that you're not to 
Think about maybe things you've done in the past and let that flavor all your thoughts about yourself. You're to, to read God's word and find out what does God say about me right now? So they had mixed marriages they had to deal with. There was disobedience in the mix. And then we move on to verse 13 and God is going to say there's something else. Something else going on. They are dealing also with broken marriages. Not just mixed marriages, but broken marriages through divorce. Verse 13, the second thing you do. I need you to stop there for just a moment and just look at that word do. The second thing you do. This is now the third time in Malachi where humans are doing something. And every time this verb has a human subject, the action is evil. So what they're doing is evil. What are they doing? It says, you covered the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning. Well, tears aren't bad. Weeping and groaning isn't bad in and of itself. But why is why are these tears and this weeping and groaning bad? Because, here's the because clause, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. You're crying because God isn't pleased with you and you're disagreeing with his verdict. There's false worship going on. The crocodile tears are coming down and, and they're not going to get anywhere with God because their sin had shut the door. And they had locked themselves out by worshiping idols and violating their marriage vows. It made their worship a hypocritical joke. The men of Israel were divorcing their, their wives of long standing to go find newer models, but they happen to be pagans. So they're doing two things wrong here. They're divorcing their wives and they're intermarrying with people that God says don't do that. By the way, we have a position paper at Grace Orange as a church on divorce and remarriage. It's on our website. Let me just read you the opening paragraph. It is clear from Scripture that divorce is not the preference of God the Father, nor of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Scripture teaches that God hates divorce because it always involves unfaithfulness to the solemn covenant of marriage and because it brings harmful consequences to those partners and their children. Divorce in Scripture is permitted only because of man's sin and is only allowed under very limited circumstances. Since divorce is only a concession to man's sin and not a part of God's original plan for marriage, all believers should hate divorce as God does and pursue it only when there is no other recourse. With God's help, a marriage can survive the worst sins. Malachi 2 has some, by the way, really good teaching on marriage. Really good teaching on marriage. In fact, kind of centered around five key words. And the first word is God. The first word is God here. Marriage is from God. Verse 15, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? Marriage is from God. It's a gift from God. And the second word is union. It's, it's a union between one man and one woman. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit? When God inaugurated marriage... He made two into one. Two individuals into one person. We talk about oneness in marriage, and people always think that's the sexual aspect. Oneness in marriage deals with physical, emotional, and spiritual oneness. Malachi is reminding us that God provided only one woman for one man. 
He could have made Adam a number of wives, but he created only one. So it takes polygamy off the table. It's very clear here that it's one man with one woman, so it takes homosexuality off the table. And what was the thing that God was seeking through these marriage covenants? Godly offspring, it says. Godly offspring. So one of the goals of marriage is to train souls for eternity and raise up godly seed. Now look, I know a lot of people that are not able to have children. It becomes a very painful process for them. They would agree with me, and I've talked to many of them, that too often married couples who are able to have kids only think of children as an option. They think that their own personal happiness or fulfillment is the primary goal in marriage. That was never to be the case according to the scriptures. The first command given to the first human couple was be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And if you're not humanly able to do that, you're not being disobedient to God. That's just what God has given you. And it probably makes you a lot more compassionate and a lot more empathetic towards people. Especially those who aren't able to have kids. You want to raise up godly seed. God wants to raise up godly seed, godly offspring. And if if you're going to do that, there better be godly parents in the mix. Right here in these front rows, we've got really, I think, what I I heard, four generations of of godly Christians. Uh, There is a a generation of godly Christians and another generation and another generation and another. Praise God. Let's say you don't have that. You start yours today. You start yours now. You start it with your family, your household. Start a, a pattern of godliness in this generation that can be carried on till, till Jesus comes again. You need God's word. You want godly offspring? You've got to have God's word in the mix. Parents who will teach their, the Bible and, and pray with their kids in their homes. This is like a new thought to so many Christians today. It wasn't before. Parents that are teach their kids the word of God in the household. The head of the household should, should read God's word. They, the members of the household should hear the word of God in their parents' voice. Because there's a connection that gets made that, that God intends to get made. You need God's family. You want godly offspring? You need God's family. You need the church and solid relationships in it. You need godly people that are going to come alongside your offspring and point them to Jesus too. Another word for, in, for, for marriage here is covenant. Marriage is a covenant. Verse 14, the wife of your youth, your wife by covenant. He's, he's name-checking the legally binding nature of the marriage pact, a covenant made before God as a witness. Your wife of, of your youth, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? It, it? Back then, a lot of women got married at age uh, 13, 14, before age 15. But it's not a contract. It's, it's meant to be a, an, an unbreakable commitment for a lifetime. This is your partner, your, your, your companion. That means close. It means unbreakable bond. It's like super glue. It's like tight bond. Genesis 2.24 says to leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife. That literally means cleave, means stick like glue. Be together. Be one together. Doesn't mean, I, I saw someone turn to their wife right now and they're going to say, well, does that mean we do everything? I saw you in the back. Does that mean oh, we're going to do everything together? That, that, the idea is to be one in marriage. One in marriage. You don't have to go everywhere together. You're not Siamese twins. If you want to do that, go for it. 
There's some, another word that needs to be pointed out here about marriage. Verse 16, the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence. So violence is a word here. Breaking the marriage apart is, is related to violence and treachery towards someone. Wow. You know, some of your Bibles are going to say, I hate divorce, says the Lord. The ESV is actually a more accurate rendering of the original Hebrew. And, and it basically has the same meaning. God doesn't love divorce. The man who does not love his wife but divorces her covers his garment with violence, says the Lord. The meaning is essentially the same. God doesn't love it. You know who really hates divorce? Divorce people. Divorce people hate divorce the most because they see the effects and they don't like the outcomes and they don't like the pain and they don't like the complexity that gets thrown into the mix of life because it wasn't what God intended. It's because of our sin. We are addressing our sin every single day. We're not hammering people who who get divorces. God was hammering his people right then because it was going on right then. If you're about to do that right now, I'll tell you right now, you shouldn't do it. There's better ways. You can can seek reconciliation. You can can confess your sins. You You can do what God wants. And God hates everything that leads up to a divorce. A lot of us think that, oh, what goes on in the home doesn't have any bearing on the rest of life. It does. Here's Malachi's day. Men are coming to meet the Lord and worship God at the temple, and the Lord sends them home and says, you go there and deal with that before you come and do this. The word translated violence, by the way, it basically is directed at God every time it's used. So this is cold-blooded, unscrupulous infringement upon God and others, motivated by greed and hate and, and often making use of sheer brutality towards another person i want to point one more word out for you with marriage here witness the word witness god is a witness to sin and he repays very fairly he sees and hears he is a part of it verse 14 but you say why is he not pleased with us god was a witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you've been faithless and dealt treacherously and she's your companion and wife by covenant one writer put it this way the cries of those whom men have injured will be louder in the ears of God than the prayers of the injurer. You know, man, if you are dealing treacherously with your wife now, you can't pray. You say, oh, I'm a believer, I can pray. Well, 1 Peter 3, 9, 3, 8, and 9 says, if you don't live with your wife in an understanding way, your prayers will get hindered. God's not going to want to listen to you until you make that relationship right, that you go and, and, and do what you need to do to, to reconcile. See, the idea behind marriage here, God is saying, don't wrong the person you married. If you're single, don't marry the wrong person. But if you, if you are married, don't wrong the person you married. Don't wrongly divorce or mistreat your spouse. Divorce is permissible, but not preferred. But if you're already divorced, I think now's a good time to bring up God's grace. The grace of God that covers our sins we don't sin so that we get more grace but when we sin there is grace the point isn't to make you feel really really bad today about something you've done in the past god's grace is sufficient this was a current situation it was an ongoing sin he wanted them to stop it by the way there's plenty of ways for relatively normal looking marriages to be really messed up address divorce then as a symptom 
of a heart issue that all people share. You know what God is saying to us through Malachi chapter 2 here? He's saying, stop doing what's wrong and start doing what's right. Stop doing what's wrong and start doing what's right. And what's needed is a heart change, a life change. He says in verse 15, guard yourselves in your spirit. Don't let any of you be faithful to the wife of your, faithless to the wife of your youth. Be faithful. So guard yourselves, verse 16, and do not be faithless. You know, a lot of times we say, yeah, I'm going to guard my heart so that someone won't hurt me. I'm going to guard my heart because I've been injured so many times. God's saying, you guard your heart so you don't injure your spouse. You, guard, you protect your spouse from you and your sin and your selfishness. And one of the issues of the Exxon Valdez oil spill was that the cleanup behind big boulders wasn't done. They figured this out in recent years. There was an article just this last week of damage that was hidden and therefore not noticed and therefore thought not to exist, but ended up being very significant. Large boulders right now that still have oil trapped behind them because it wasn't cleaned up. God is uncovering what is deeply hidden in the hearts of his people so that they would live for his glory and experience his love and joy and peace. See, God wants you, if you're a Christian, God wants you to experience fullness of life in Christ. The very bright and, and powerful hope of the gospel is, is that lasting life change is possible in Christ. Because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, that means that you can get a restart. That means that they happen in miraculous ways, the miraculous working of God. If you have any heart change that, that happens in your life, it's not because someone spoke in such a way to make you feel a certain way, but that God actually did a miraculous work of grace in you. Every lasting heart change of a person's attitudes or actions even comes because of God's grace. And what does that process look like? You're going to be convicted of your sin. You're going to say, wow, I get it. I realize now what, what, what God is saying. I, I've offended God. I've offended others. And you look into the, wor- the mirror of the word of God and, and you're convinced. And you submit to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. And you take responsibility for those attitudes and actions. You guard your heart by bringing the gospel and the word of God to bear on every situation. How did what Jesus did at the cross and how does the Bible speak to my situation? And then you're contrite. You're sorry for your sins. You, You grieve over it. The Bible says that godly sorrow, godly grief brings repentance that leads to salvation and no regret. You confess your sins. You admit them. You agree with God about your sins. You freely confess your guilt and shame and receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers. If you're a Christian, you got forgiven past, present, and future when you came to faith in Christ. But God still says you confess your sins. Admit your sins. It's like David when he sinned with Bathsheba and broke his marriage covenant. He said, I've sinned against you, Lord. You need to confess your sins to people too. Whoever you've hurt, you need to confess your sins to. Make things right with those you've wronged. Make amends. Pray and ask God to reveal those blind spots to you. You need to go and make it right. And I hope you don't have a big long list. But if you do, God is patient. And people are amazingly resilient and people are amazingly softened by humility and and a humble spirit that says, you know what, I wronged you. 
and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. The worship team's going to come back up and uh, let's just talk about a change of direction in life. Repentance, turning from sin. You know, Malachi says, we have done this. He says, we, the whole lot of us are guilty because it was so prevalent. But the solution was individual. Did you notice in verses 15 and 16, it says, guard yourselves. You guard yourself. You have to individually take care of your issue. Praise God that some of these issues were taken care of. They annulled those marriages. Those pagan marriages that were going on that was messing up the community. You can read it in Ezra chapter 10. That took them three months. Every person that, that married a foreign wife actually is listed. It's your name in there for that. That's what they got. But they repented. They, they said, we're wrong. We're going to make it right. Just give us enough time to do it. We can't do it in one day. So it took them three months. There were so many people that were affected. God's process of true change in your heart is not easy. It is not painless. And it was bought at the price of the precious blood of Christ. And Lord God, thank you for for that precious blood that was shed for us. That grace that was poured out for us and continues to be poured out on us. And I pray, Lord, that we would value your glory and your word more than our own, that you would be pleased with our offering to you because we are looking to you, the only one who is faithful. We are so often faithless, but we, we look to Jesus, the faithful one who makes his family one. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.